it didn't listen to me. It walked out of the thicket, it turned around and looked at me. They looked up and in this tree, there was a monkey man. And the monkey man jumped down out of the tree and started running away. And suddenly they're right in front of the car. He slams on the brakes and manages to stop. And he's skidding because it's not quite, you know, um, gravelling. And for literally for about a second and a half, they just stood there because they don't know where to go. And you tell them panicking, they're like ripping up thing. Their, their, their face is like twitching. to Bigfoot Society, a podcast where we focus on cryptids, the strange, and the unexplained of this world. If you've got a story or something weird to share, send an email over to me at bigfootsociety at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support this show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. And now, on with the show. All right, Bigfoot Society, we've got the privilege of talking to Mr. Chris Spencer and Mr. Shane Corson, both from the Olympic Project tonight. How's it going, gentlemen? Good. Going great, uh, Jeremiah. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. We got we got plenty of people in the chat. I'm going to, uh, let's see, I'm going to shout out a few people. We got uh, Todd there, SoCal Squatch. What's up, party people? Good to see you, sir. Uh, we got uh, Scott from the Patreon. How's it going there, Scott? We got Rebecca Slick, of course. Good times. Uh, shouting out Todd there. And uh, she says, hey, Rue. And oh, my goodness, we got Mike from Tactical Bigfoot Research. I haven't seen him for a while. Good to see you, sir. Uh, but yeah, we're going to have a good time chatting about some uh, Bigfoot stuff, catching up with the Olympic Project. And uh any questions uh, you guys have in the chat, feel free to uh, go ahead and put those in the chat and uh, we'll put those up on screen eventually and we'll see what the answers are uh, from Shane and Chris today. But um, if there's people that uh, might not be familiar with what you guys are uh, all about, uh, Chris, do you mind if I have you start with uh, saying a few words about yourself, what it is you do with Bigfoot? Yeah, yeah. Um... So I've been a member of the Olympic project since 2017. Uh, before that I was, I got interested in the subject cause I had an experience in 2013, but I actually, I was all always interested in the subject, but I got serious about it after an experience I had in 2013, um, met Shane in 2015, Shane, David, and, uh, Derek in, uh, became a member. I was started, I was really interested in audio recording and, uh, Basically, that's what I do. I do a lot of audio recording now. So that's fantastic. The short, short version. <laughs> the short, short version. I love it. And Shane, how about yourself, sir? Yeah, real quick. Chris is very humble. He does a ton of stuff for the Olympics. I know. The audio. He's very <laughs> humble. He's a very humble guy. Uh, he's doing some amazing things. But uh, myself, I've been involved with the Olympic Project since about 2012. I'm a field investigator and uh, kind of co-run the Olympic Project with uh, David Ellis and Derek Randalls of the Olympic Project, though uh, people like Chris Spencer, Rebecca Ann Slick, and Todd Hill are an intricate part, uh, specifically in the last couple of years of what we do. 
in which is a lot of just uh, field investigation in specific areas. We're not uh, ambulance chasers. We, we, we stick to a couple of specific areas uh, and uh, thoroughly vet those areas uh, year round. And the audio aspect, which we'll get into, it's a huge part of what we do, especially and specifically as of recent times. But got a lot of exciting things we're working on. Um, and uh, many of your uh, your followers know I've been on the show before. Chris and Todd have been on the show before. Uh, we're, we're working on this nesting area. Um, and so that's kind of um, our main goal right now is to focus on this uh, specific area and uh, continue our research in this area because it's we're in it for the long run. You know, it's not a it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So that's uh, what we've been up to as a recent. Uh, but we're really about collecting data and uh, as much data as possible and, and embedding that data and then comparing it from different seasons. So that's what we've been up to. That's what we're doing. And that's kind of what we're about. Fantastic. I mean, and uh, to just shout out uh, Chris, you know, when I was able to go out uh, for my first uh, expedition with Tate Hieronymus uh, over the summer, uh, Chris, I really appreciated your help. You were walking me through how to set up my task cam and uh, man, you had, you had an answer for all my, uh, for newbie questions. So I appreciate you, dude. Uh, we got some more uh People hanging out with us. We got tall ones. Howdy. We got uh, Tate Hieronymus. Oh, these guys. Huh? Just kidding. Nice dude. Uh, Alan, what's going on, man, from the Patreon? Uh, we got all sorts of people. And we got AK Luke. Yo. All right. So just in case, and, you know, this is going to be, people are going to hear this later on. There might be people that are not thoroughly versed in the Bigfoot lingo as, you know, uh, as you know, the three of us are, um, and, uh, so they hear the Bigfoot nest and you might have a person, you know, they might be imagining, Oh my goodness, Bigfoot is making like a nest in a tree, like a bird. Can you guys give a, a short summary of like, when you say big, you're looking for Bigfoot nests, what are you guys looking for? Well, I'll jump in here and I'll, then I'll let Chris jump in. But All when right. we say, when we say Bigfoot nests, First of all, we're not 100% saying what uh, we were led to find our Bigfoot nests. Um, we believe that Sasquatch is quite possibly and more than likely making these nests periodically. It's not like a bear that makes a bed, you know, uh, periodically. It's not like a, a gorilla that makes a nest every night. These nests that we were led to discover and discovered more subsequently are made uh, occasionally. Uh, maybe every couple of years, so to speak, for maybe a specific purpose. So these nests, I mean, they're fascinating in a lot of ways, but they're definitely not. Um, one of the things I think a lot of people get confused with are nests and structures. And this kind of drives me nuts because you can watch a lot of TV shows and or you can jump on YouTube and people say they found a nest, a Bigfoot nest. Now, to clarify, I mean, what is a Bigfoot nest? Nobody knows. Nobody truly knows what a Bigfoot nest, if they do, in fact, make nests. But you watch a lot of these shows at YouTube, TV, specifically TV, and they're more like structures. When, I, when I'm trying to describe a nest to somebody, I'm talking about a, a, what looks like, in all, in, in all factuality, a giant nest on the ground, like a giant bird's nest, but structured intelligently uh, and made out of, uh, I mean, out of huckleberry. Um, 
fresh boughs from Huckleberry. So we're not talking about, you know, um, uh, a bare bed. We're not talking about a teepee structure. We're not talking about something that uh, uh, looks like a cave. We're talking about a giant ground nest. And I've seen too many times on TV, as of, even as of recent on some some shows I won't mention, <laughs> and I've seen on YouTube and stuff that they describe stuff. And and a lot of times you can tell that they're either man-made, um, they're natural, or they're just some just complete uh, hoaxes. And so what we've been led to discover is something that's not man-made. It's not natural as far as nature, as far as weather concerned. This is constructed intelligently and they're in clusters. That's another key thing. Um, you're not finding these nests really by themselves, like one giant nest somewhere. You're finding them in clusters. For example, bears will make beds and sometimes they'll make more than one bed, but they're a bed. They're not a nest. Mm. Um uh people make weird structures tps and stuff like that and maybe and maybe sasquatch does make structures i don't know but this is not a structure these are ground nests and they're over a foot in depth made of completely out of huckleberry in conjunction with other nests and usually they're formulated in in a pattern or in a situation where they're almost like a v-shape in a lot of circumstances um, and as I've spoken about before, some of the nests we've discovered have what we call bush nests or a practice nest that's above the ground in the huckleberry that mimics what's on the ground. Interesting. So um, and there's a lot to be said about that. But these nests are absolutely fascinating because there's no cut marks. There's no claw marks. These are snap peeled or twisted branches that formulate these giant ground nests of various sizes. And uh, in, in many cases, I've, as I've described before, you have huckleberry boughs pushed into the ground and the nest is not necessarily weaved, but formulated around this sort of frame, like a bed frame. And so something you need an opposable thumb, in my opinion, you need strength and you need an intelligence to make these nests. Uh, Chris, what do you have to say? Uh, I was just going to. Add. And, and it's a lot of the material is transported. It's not like an animal just grabbed what was right there and built it. Cause that's what a bear does. It comes to a spot. It wants to bed down in, it might be against a tree and it'll scrape bark off that tree. But normally a bear just scrapes up the duff or whatever is around it and then lays in it. This stuff, uh, the huckleberry was broken off, broken all over the area. Um, the original nest site is like 90 feet by 120 feet, I think. And all the huckleberry in that area was completely destroyed and transported to the spot where they built the beds or nests. Um, it, it was done with something that had hands, basically. And bears don't nest together. You're not going to find, <laughs> as Shane said, bears will, uh, will make new nests in the same general area or a new bed in the same general area. These were intentionally built about the same time. The huckleberry was built, was the same age in all the nests and by multiple animals. These, this was uh, at least in the original nest site that was found by a timber surveyor, not the Olympic project. A timber mm -hmm. surveyor found them in an area where no one would be going but a timber surveyor. Um, these were built by multiple animals. And yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's, you know, 
when people ask me when I'm on shows and they're like, what's your, you know, the question you always get is what's your top Bigfoot evidence, right? And the one I usually bring up are the nests from the Olympic project. It, it's just the fact that, um, you know, the, the fact that uh, I believe you had, there was like a primatologist that went out in that area and pretty much mentioned that, hey, this stuff is like what we're seeing built in the zoos. Um, that to me is just like, I mean, it's it's game over. If you're having like a primatologist person from a zoo come out and say, yep, that checks out. I mean. Yeah, yeah. We've had uh, primatologists, zoologists, bear biologists, uh, wildlife biologists in this area. And uh, today, I mean, they're to come out now. There's nothing really to be seen. You wouldn't even recognize them. But originally, uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2000, even the tail end of 2019, even though they were kind of really degraded and we taken samples from a few, the majority of them were uh, blown away by what they were looking at. They could not describe them by any of their knowledge as, you know, this wasn't bear behavior. The uh, primatologist slash and, and zoologist that looked at them said they're bear reminiscent, like you said, Jeremiah, of what they would see in in captivity and outside of captivity with um, gorillas or primates in general, like, a, you know, great apes in general, like chimpanzees, bonobos and whatnot that would make and construct these ground nests. They're very similar. And and I remember one of the individuals, a female from a certain zoo out here in North America, said that she could actually see characteristics and of certain individuals that she worked with, chimpanzees and whatnot. Uh, and basically what I'm getting at is that some of the nests had just characteristics. Like she could put a name to a nest. Like, okay, this looks like so-and-so would have made this nest and so-and-so would have made this nest, which mm -hmm. I actually had never considered and found absolutely fascinating because I just, I see these ground nests. They're big in size. They're very intelligently constructed. But to, to see characteristics or character in some of these nests uh, that I, as a layman, would not have noticed was fascinating to me. Um, and, 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 and a lot of, I mean, the bear biologist, uh, even, you know, this is not bear behavior, period. As Chris stated, bears don't hunker down together. You know, they don't build seven nests in one area at the same time with the same material. And they don't transport material from over 25 feet away to construct a very large nest one that is not meant to be in our opinion and definitely in my opinion for one night uh, this these nests were made for a period of time for a certain reason the reason very speculative obviously but they were made for probably a couple days to a week to maybe longer based on the food sources in this area and based on the amount of time because we've reconstructed a nest uh and it it, it took Derek Randalls and myself when we reconstructed the nest over 45 minutes collecting wow. together to build a nest that uh, in the end was still, after we watched it dilapidate over a couple of months, mm -hmm. was still not as good at whatever built these nests. They were expert at what they were doing, and we were trying to reconstruct one the best we could. And we found out we still did not collect enough material, which once again was fascinating. And that's that's not you guys weren't breaking the limbs with your hands. You were just picking up pieces that were already on the ground. I would assume. For oh that. no, 
No, no, no, oh, okay. all of the above. But no, so all the the there was no uh, when these nets were really originally constructed by whatever they they weren't whatever made these nets weren't u- utilizing dead stuff. It was all fresh boughs from Huckleberry, um, and and to your point, Jeremiah, a lot of the we did use our hands, and we discovered once again that some of that stuff was almost impossible to break. Now, I'm a fairly strong guy, and I know Derek Randalls is a very strong guy. It took all of our strength, sometimes two of us, to break one of these and then bring it to the nest location where we were reconstructing a nest. It took strength, and it took intelligence because it was transported from a distance away where you mm-hmm. had a lot of the bigger branches on the base and smaller branches on top, which would have made a nice comfort, uh, you know, nice bedding. You know, you'd want to lay in as a human even. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was all fresh huckleberry. It wasn't anything dead. Like, and that's a, that's another thing I've actually never really talked about on the show is a lot of these pictures you see where someone says, oh, this is a big but nest. It's all dead. It is big, dead branches and stuff that defies logic. It doesn't even look comfy. This, the huckleberry is super comfy, especially when it's fresh. It is like a mattress. Hmm. And so I get, I get a little frustrated when people say they found something and they don't really have an age to it because we watched when we built the reconstructed nest, we watched it age over months and huckleberry will stay green for months and then it'll eventually brown up. Um, that's why we when these nests were found in uh, May of 2015, they were still green. And we surmise and, and hypothesize that these nests were made in the month of February. Um they stayed green. It was a, I mean, that year was a cold year um, and very wet. So I, I would assume they stayed very green because of that, but maybe they were made into the month of March. We, we like, again, we, we hypothesize they were made between February and March, but they're, it's very comfy. A lot of these photos that people send me or things I see on TV or on YouTube don't resemble a nest. They resemble a structure and they do not mm. look comfy whatsoever. Uh, if I'm, if I'm Shane Corson's going out to the woods and building something, I'm not going to grab a bunch of dead stuff. I'm going to grab the greenest stuff around, maybe some moss, maybe oh, some sure. huckleberry. And that, that's going to be comfy. And that makes sense that something with intelligence would do the same thing. Mm, there you go. There's already questions coming in uh, about uh, the nest site, of course. So I want to throw some of these up here. Uh, Scott, uh, of course, the question that is on everyone's mind. Uh, so have there been any new encounters, evidence of or findings that have come out of the site lately? Um, yeah, mainly audio because I got long-term audio running in there. But in in May, we did a camp out. And we not only had audio going, but we cast a track. Um, I'm fairly oh, certain wow. is one of our target subjects. It's hard. It's the grounded cover in there because it's so thick with Huckleberry. The ground is almost all dead huckleberry leaves it's not conducive to getting tracks but we actually uh, our second night second day in there hiking and not very far from our camp shane actually found a nice impression that had a very defined heel it was 14 14 by uh seven i believe and we end up casting that so yeah we find we find i call them ambiguous tracks but they're definitely it, they ironically fall within that 14 inch by seven inch range a lot. Um, Todd Hale, he found some other tracks in correlation with uh, 
what we believe is possibly some feeding behavior last November. Um, there was a whole area where all the huckleberry was broke off from, you know, six, seven feet up down to about four feet. And the huckleberry is ripe in the area in November and October. And it's sweet. You can eat it. I was eating it in November. And we found this whole area. I don't even, it, it was massive where all the huckleberry, there was these trails made through the huckleberry and the huckleberry boughs were broke off. But one thing I noticed, all the boughs that I was pick, was picking up were completely stripped of berries. There was no berries on them. Whereas all the, the living branches had berries on them still. So I kind of hypothesized that it's probably some uh, feeding behavior going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Todd, like I said, Todd Hale found a number of really interesting impressions. One really large, couple really large impressions in the same area. So yeah, it's, we're always looking for more physical evidence. Um, me and Shane, we found some possible old nests in May on a camp out and, and hike into an area that we hadn't been in in a long time. Um, and like I said, the, the audio, I, I'm reviewing audio. I'm pretty much recording every single night this year, mo- almost every night last year. And there is definite uh, suspicious vocalizations and percussive sounds happening pretty regularly. Shane, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I want to clarify something. We okay. we 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 don't think that Sasquatches. I mean, this is not an area that Sasquatches in twenty four seven. If they were, I don't care how big the area it is, uh, they're going to give themselves up. They have to be nomadic. They have to move around. But they seem to be in this area frequently, and mm-hmm. and actually be, based on the audio recordings, a lot more frequently, you know, than I thought. Uh, as Chris stated, um, he's got multiple. Um, LDRs long duration recorders out in this area and capturing every night, every night for, you know, um, uh, lengthy, lengthy periods of time. And Chris bets this audio uh, and it's quite painstaking, as he will tell you. And and <laughs> not just painstaking, but it takes up a lot of time and he's got a day job and a life. Um, but so the audio is amazing. But these things are not. And I say these things, Sasquatch is not in this area you know, all the time, but they are definitely in this area periodically moving through this area, in my opinion. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of nights when you're camping out there, you won't hear a thing and you don't get anything recorded. Um, and a lot of times um, the audio speaks for itself. You don't hear stuff. It's amazing to me what the human ear does not pick up. It could be dead quiet out. You cannot have a fire and you don't hear, you know, you don't hear uh, percussive sounds. You don't hear whoops, whistles, and it's just weird how the human ear does not pick up on some of the stuff. And I think that's why one of the reasons they say so elusive, they're so smart. Uh, you know, if you have something repetitive going on, like constant whistles or constant yells or anything like, uh, I'm pretty sure that's not a Sasquatch. But when you have just periodic stuff, that's when you pay attention. And in, in this area, we have discovered, like Chris said, one of the things we look for is huckleberry breaks. Now, yes, a lot of things to break huckleberry. Um, elk can break huckleberry branches. Deer can break huckleberry branches. Bear definitely break huckleberry branches. And humans. Uh, but there's no human element in here to break uh, huckleberry branches. You do have the known animals. But when you start seeing the lack of, say, um, antlers or or claws or teeth marks on them, and you see things over, like Chris said, six or seven feet tall where it's broken off, twisted off dropped 
The huckleberries are completely stripped. In some cases, the leaves are plucked off. It's when we pay attention because that's when we start noticing, you know, possible uh, impressions. You know, we're not just looking at the huckleberry. We're looking down at the ground. In a lot of cases in this area, you know, the ground's not conducive for a really good track impression. But sometimes it is. And you do find large impressions. And one of the characteristics we've discovered the last couple of years is a real consistency with these 14-inch tracks. Hmm. Um 14 inch and that's really appealing to me because i i, I look back at the, you know the patterson gimlin film patty was uh she was about 14 inches and when we think about the nests a lot of the impressions found around the nest site are about 14 inches so things start oh, wow. kind of uh coming together and I, it starts painting a picture whether it's right or wrong but something to think about that maybe a female sasquatch is building nests and in this area and not seen because there are reports in the vicinity, outskirts on some of the roads outside of this area, where people see large Sasquatch crossing roads periodically. There's been a couple this year, um, larger Sasquatch seen. Um, and typically speaking, you know, the vast majority of sightings you are, t- you know, on especially roadside crossings are typically of larger uh, looking Sasquatch, typically. And that tells me that possibly that's a male and maybe it's a female, but quite, you know, no one describes any, any attributes that may lean towards a female, but I would assume the males are the ones traversing the areas, monitoring it. The ones that are going to be the most exposed, whereas the females and say, if they live in a family unit or not, the infants would not be seen as much. So it's, it's a, it's a interesting scenario we have out in the, out in the nest area. And uh, we're just uh, collecting as much data as we can. That that uh, the detail about fourteen inch uh, footprints that, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, Tate has a question as as well. He said, "Is there any possibility people could have hiked in and hoaxed them?" Well, I'll, I'm definitely gonna let Chris chime in on this because this right. is a good one. No, but All it's right. a great question. It's a great question. We get this one quite often. Um, the answer is no. This is two and a half miles behind a lock gate that we have the key to, and this is way off trail. Uh, to hope somebody, you would figure that somebody's going to go out there. Uh, yeah. The only person that, other than us, as of recent, that's been out there is a timber surveyor, and that was back in 2015. Um, and to build multiple nests, there's no sign of trash. There's no sign of people impressions, both the uh, you know physical impressions or trash and whatnot. Uh, multiple sizes, uh, and it defies logic. Way off trail. Um, these are areas where we have you do have a lot of cougar, you have a lot of bear, you have a lot of ungulates. Uh, to uh, I'm just going to say this: people are stupid. Okay? If they're going <laughs> to, they're going to, if they're going to hoax you, they're going to do it next to a road, right, right? Not way. I mean, and this stuff's impenetrable. Yeah. It's impenetrable. I mean, literally, you have to go through huckleberry over nine feet tall. You can't see a few feet in you. Who in their right mind is going to hoax somebody out there and, and make it fresh? you know, uh, to the point where you're going in there and it's fresh, you know, um, you know, give a, if that timber surveyor, when he went in there, went in there a couple of months later, it would have been weird, but all that debris would have been dead. And the amount of time, the, the sheer amount of time that it took to build these nests good with the depth, all the huckleberry broken and the strength uh, and the heights. And uh, yeah, it, to me, that's um, not a silly question, but impossible and, and uh, not, um, not nothing, uh, nothing that happened here. Uh, 
yeah, so I, that's all. Chris, go ahead. I know you got something to say about this. Oh, no, it just goes back to um, goes back to what I said earlier that the one person that the OP didn't find these nests. It wasn't like some Bigfooters went out in the woods looking for mm-hmm. for uh, Bigfoot nests, or it was an area where known Bigfooters go. A guy doing a job that he had to do, which is designate where you have to stop logging along a creek because there's a certain amount of uh, trees that have to be, yeah, have to be left on salmon bearing creeks. So he has to, on this property, has to go through the property and flag it off so the loggers don't only log to a certain point. So that means he has to go through stuff that no one in their right mind, not a hunter, not anybody would would travel. Um, When you go, when the nests were originally found, you would not know they were there. The timber surveyor just stumbled upon them. He, you, you wouldn't see it from the top because the barrier of Huckleberry. You wouldn't see it from the creek bottom because of the sheer steepness of the hillside. The only way you knew it was there is if you walked right in on them. Um, so if someone was trying to hoax something like Shane pointed out, they're going to put it where someone's going to find it. And where this was at, it would be a terrible place to hoax. It, mm. it just, it's, it's a ludicrous thought to me why and that and i understand the question though i i get being skeptical but you know i before i got invited out to look at it that's the thought that went through my head too that's a thought that's going to go through generally anybody's head but once you've been there it's like are you freaking kidding me no way anybody in their right mind coming out here uh, you know last week and me and rebecca were in there servicing audio and uh, her game cameras because she's running a lot of game cameras and getting some great footage of known animals. Sure. Um, we had a hike down. We had placed uh, two months ago an audio unit, one of my SM4s, in an area that we think they're traveling, which is down in the ravine. And it's only maybe maybe 100 yards off the ridgetop. It took us an hour to get there and over an hour to get out of there. And that's just the two of us climbing through the crap wow. just to get in there. So, and that's, it's, and it's, there's so, it's so much of it's like that. You could be traveling in there. We could be going right past well-used trails by the Sasquatch and not even see them. Cause they could be two wow. feet away from us and we wouldn't see it through the Huckleberry. Unless you walk right on top of something, you're not going to find it. It's wild. And I think you get a little bit of how crazy it is when you watch small town monsters documentary about the olympic project uh the discovery um which is a great documentary definitely everyone check that out if you want to get some a viewpoint of the area the nest and all that good stuff but i think it's a thing where you actually got to be there and experience it and then it clicks in your mind i've got a question that was loaded up at the beginning of the time i'm going to bring that up now uh, about the nest it, i just want to see what you guys uh thoughts are about it um uh, the nests were stated to be found down a slope that was so steep ropes were needed to get down to them uh can you ask them about the claims that the animals wouldn't likely create nightly nests in such a location um i, I think we answered most yeah. of those I, I and think, no ropes yeah. were used Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me just say that the, the, the it is very steep, but I, I never once. Um, the only times I've ever used ropes is when I went with Mark Marcel to Ape Canyon. Uh, honestly, um, that's the only time I ever. And I don't know if you're getting confused with that conversation. 
That was Ape Canyon out uh, towards Mount St. Helens, where the 1924 cabin site was located that Mark found. Um, no ropes are needed, but it's very steep. I've seen people almost, uh, I mean, if you fall down this hill, you're going to be hurt. It's no joke. It's very steep. But as a human, it takes us a lot of time to get up and down it. Whereas a Sasquatch, I would assume, could just like an ungulate or a bear or a cougar or anything mm-hmm. else, up and down there, no problem. It's a very quick escape route that leads right down to a Salmon Barren Creek. Um, and as far as making nests nightly, if Sasquatch is making nests nightly, as to the caliber of what we have discovered and been led to discover, uh, they're going to give themselves up. It's going it takes sure. a lot of work, takes a lot of material. Um, and uh, one more thing I was going to mention too was the necessary too the canopy up above, like drones. You cannot penetrate this area with drones. The canopy oh, wow. up ahead, you know, okay. the, the Douglas fir in this area is so thick. And then you have the huckleberry. Um, I described the nests like this. You can't see from afar. It's like a house. You can see the, <clears throat> the, the walls, which would be the huckleberry. You literally have to get past this huckleberry, these walls, to even coming into the room of the devastation. So it's very intelligent. You don't destroy anything outside your house. Mm. You just build everything inside it and construct it. You lay your furniture down and all that. Very intelligent. So it's very impenetrable. You have to literally stumble across this, and it takes somebody like a timber surveyor that has a job. Because I honestly, I do enjoy off trail hiking, but generally speaking, this wouldn't be an area I would go to uh, as a hunter, as a hiker, or an explorer because it's just you don't know if you're going to walk into a beehive or bump into a bear or a cougar or just get a stick in the eyeball, which we've done multiple times. It's brutal. So um, I kind of hope that answers those last two questions. Yeah, I I think uh, I think that'll that'll shine a little bit more light uh hopefully for that individual that asked that um speaking of salmon uh mike from tactical bigfoot research says question how important are the salmon to your research that's kind of an interesting uh viewpoint to bring up your question there um relatively big but not the end-all be-all um and i could say that off a number of things now when that when these nests are being made, I this is the big point. When these nests are being made, there usually is a big salmon run or a big chum run in some of these areas. And uh, in the months of February, um, and even currently right now, there's a big chum run in some of these areas. Uh, February, you do have a big chum or salmon run in some of these areas, and these nests just happen to be you know, coinciding with that run in February and March up some of these rivers. And that's huge. That is huge because that's a natural. I mean, bears eat it. Oh, you're a lot of animals eat salmon, including humans. And, you know, when I'm out fishing, it's a good month to be out there or months to be out there fishing. These nests, I do believe, are made maybe around that time frame because of the salmon run. But that's not the end all be all. Um, it's a huge component to those specific months. But as Chris will tell you, and as we've discovered that Sasquatch seems to be moving here peri- through this area periodically and for a number of reasons. It is remote. There's a lack of humans. It's hard to get to. And there's lots and lots of food sources. And mm. uh, uh, like right now, you go out there right now and the huckleberry and the different uh, berries, the salal berry, you can find some Oregon grape. You can find some red huckleberry. Um, there are some mushrooms to be found, mosses, skunk cabbage. Um, devil's club which people a lot of people hypothesize sasquatch eats 
and you have salmon even up there right now. Uh, salmon's big, but uh, we're looking beyond that as to why Sasquatch may be possibly in this area. And what are the food sources? It's not just food, but it's protectiveness cover and all those elements that make a bigger picture. Interesting. Chris, the next one, uh, I'm going to throw this up. This is from Tate, uh, for Chris specifically. Um, so remember that, uh, <laughs> Tate, don't worry. <laughs> I'll talk about your documentary that's coming up in two days right now. Uh, make sure you check out Tate's documentary series, Search for Sabe, that's starting on 920 on his YouTube channel. I'll put the link in the show notes. Chris, um, he wants to know, what did you think of the audio that – I sent you from the Iowa expedition. Um, well, it's, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. It, it's ambiguous, but yeah, it's interesting. The circumstances surrounding it and your guys's presence in the area, uh, it, it would be intriguing. Like I told you before to maybe right. start a long-term recording project exactly. and see what else you get. You, I mean, they're, they're definite knocks, percussive sounds. Um, what made those there's a number of things that could have made those but under the circumstance uh it was sus suspicious and mm -hmm. i would just take it as uh something to maybe go investigate further it's not like exactly not going to say it was bigfoot but you know put a long-term recorder out there and see if you get some vocalizations yeah you know? exactly it, it, yep. it's just some something when you look at the whole picture and the circumstances surrounding it um kind of raises a little red flag it, it's i you know in that area we were we were at um there have been vocalizations captured in earlier years so it'd be you know i agree with you it'd be interested to see um what's captured from a long-term uh field recorder for sure uh hopefully uh that will happen someday yeah uh, Rebecca says, hey, I think they eat bald eagles. So, guys, you should uh, keep track of that. <laughs> that goes back to her, her comment is, and I'll, I'll address this because it's hilarious. Okay. Um, so, and, you know, I won't bag on this comment because it, eh, it's a legitimate question. But someone had mentioned that are these possible eagle? And the answer, you know, eagle nests. And um, oh, absolutely okay. no. Yeah, absolutely. No, because um, uh, there's a thick canopy to fly out of this area. I mean, eagles are huge and we do have a lot of eagles up in this. area. I mean, yeah, because we're close to the coast. You know, basically, mm -hmm. there's a lot of eagles up in this area, but they need to <laughs> they need to get around trees. And the trees are so thick in this area and the tree canopy uh, and, and eagles don't nest together. They don't make seven nests in one area, various sizes. And you always mm -hmm. find you find a bird nest, just a regular bird nest. What are you going to see? You're going to see bird crap. There's no yeah, bird crap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's there's true. No, there's no, if you ever seen an eagle nest, and I have, I can go, I can take a 20 minute drive from my house right now and go find an eagle nest, and you're going to find droppings everywhere, big piles of white droppings, not one to be found, not an eagle feather. So that's where that comes from. Uh, and that's why it's ludicrous. Well, and just the, the predator aspect, an eagle is going to build its nest where the eggs are going to be safe. You put it, Yep. Eagle nest on the ground with eggs on the ground in that area. There's raccoons, weasels, bobcats, coyotes, freaking tons of wood rats. I mean, everything you can possibly imagine would be 
eating those eggs, the gene pool for the eagles in the area would die with the ground nest. So. Exactly. And so, yes, it's an interesting idea, but a lot of it comes down sure. to is knowing the sounds, uh, the ways that animals uh, act in the areas that you're studying, and then you're able to, you know, you wouldn't have that thought that a bald eagle would be nesting on the ground. And it's not practical. You'd have that yeah, stuff in your yeah, mind. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I will say this. I do have some eagle calls on my long-term audio in the middle okay. of the night. Nice. But it just happens to coincide with the huge chum and uh, coho run that we had this year. The same week that those fish were just loaded in the mm. creeks and the river um, is when I picked up some eagle calls. Interesting. Um, Scott uh, asks, you mentioned that the area is so thick. Do you think there's any possibility you've been closer to them than you realized? Any concerns that one day you might stumble upon one? I think this is, that's a very interesting question. I'll, uh, go I'll ahead, go ahead. I guarantee we've been really close to them a number of times and did not even realize it. Uh, I've had two possible sightings this year. Oh, I wow. can't say for sure what I saw. Um, one of them really pisses me off, <laughs> but, uh, the, the, I do have audio that I carry on my head that back in March, um, we'd get, we got out Shane's truck. I reviewed the audio later. I'll go ahead and tell the whole story. I think I've told it before, but we, we go in repetitively. We go in the same way every time service, the same units every time, the same way. And we'd, we'd had several occasions where we'd heard vocalizations when we've been in there i think two or three more times before march we were pretty sure we'd been observed because we'd heard vocalizations really close to us um anyways we go in not thinking get out of the rig and uh me and rebecca stayed where my audio recorder was i was messing with it i was ticked off about something because usually that's what happens i get mad at technology and curse it <laughs> rebecca was messing with her game camera that she has really close to where my audio is shane decided he was going to go place a another camera in a different location which happened to take him out of the huckleberry that we were in and he ended up kind of flanking getting behind us well while he placed his camera and he's waiting for us to come out he could hear me and rebecca talking in the distance but he also heard something in the Huckleberry, something large moving towards me and Rebecca. Well, he called me and I didn't answer my phone. Uh, I had my phone on, um, on airplane mode. And as, as soon as he put his phone down, he had heard a, a big crash. And so he started going to meet us halfway because he didn't know if it was a bear or whatever. And I'll say bear, it, bears don't come towards you. They run away from you generally out here whatever this was was coming towards me and rebecca anyways rebecca had heard some crashing behind us i didn't hear any of it because i was ticked off at her i was ticked off at my tech and this and that and we met shane halfway up the trail and he had his gun out <laughs> and wow. i'm like what's up dude he goes dude you didn't hear that and rebecca goes oh those crashes i thought those were you and and he's like no i heard it it was going towards you guys anyways so that cued us oh. in that something was going on well, that night I reviewed the audio I had rolling on my head. And this is an example of why I turned my recorder on before I get out of my vehicle. 30 seconds after we step out of Shane's truck and we're talking, so we didn't hear it. There's a whoop and it's not very far from us. 
I end up recording three different whoops. I sent the audio to Monogahela too. And he, he, I remember his email back to me was like, they were right on top of you and you didn't freaking notice it. That's but I got, a, got some perfect whoops that were happening around us. And they were happening at times when I was moving and Rebecca or Rebecca was talking and we didn't hear it, but they were, they were right by us. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, in the same exact area, uh, in May on our way out, me and Rebecca were on our way out and I glanced out of the corner of my eye, saw a, a tall figure out in the Huckleberry. When we came back a couple of days later and I blew it off in my head, I was like, that's because it was a ways out and I just caught a glance of it, but it stood out to me because of the coloration. I blew it off as a, a stump or a broken tree from storm. And we went back and whatever I saw wasn't there. Um, and uh, so I can't say that's, that was a Bigfoot or whatever, but uh, you know, and then just recently um, we went in in July and we were down and the, this is one thing it, it, when stuff happens, usually it happens when our group separates a little bit. We, we cause confusion. Um, I state we were down by the original nest area and Shane and Wes Liam, who Wes is helping me with the audio project. He's a st uh, statistical analysis. Um, I collect the information and he goes to the spreadsheets and does his magic squatter matrix. Anyways, yep. he was this, he came over to visit and he was with us. He, Shane took him down to the Creek. Rebecca was down at the original nest site. I was by myself in this area where I had the SM4. I carry a, a camera with a telephoto lens on it for a reason in case I see something. Well, it's a pain in the butt carrying it through all that huckleberry in there. So I had taken it off and I set it down on the ground. I walked over to this kind of clear area and I was just looking up the ridge, drinking a bottle of water. And as I was coming down, I noticed a figure about 75 yards out, really, really black. And it didn't match any of the other shadows. And it looked like a head and shoulders right up against a tree. And I'm staring at this and I'm like, oh, it's got to be a stump or something. And I'm thinking, I don't have my camera, so I can't zoom in on it. I stared at this thing for about a minute and it just was so off and it didn't move. It didn't do nothing. And in, in my head, I'm thinking that's got to, it's, it's so big and so obvious. It's got to be a stump. So I turn around, grab my camera so I can zoom in on it mm -hmm. and it's gone. Oh well, man. I'm now I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm looking, I'm scoping everywhere because it was at the edge of a finger that drops down into another ravine. I'm looking everywhere and I can't find this damn stump. And there's no mm -hmm. way I could have lost it because it's so big and so black. And Rebecca comes up and she looks at me and she's like, what's wrong? She, and I told her, so she started videoing me. And I, as she's videoing me, telling what happened there's a <laughs> and then we're hearing subtle not loud movement but we're hearing brush movement from that direction going away from oh my us goodness. so that that was in july so do they get close to us uh, uh in my opinion yeah you know i know i i get every everyone wants to not sound crazy and everyone kind of pussyfoots around everything, but I think we're dealing with Sasquatch. That's my personal belief. You don't have to believe me if you don't want to, but there it is.
That's yeah, an intense it, story. Go ahead, Shane. Uh, just real quick uh, yeah. to answer Scott's question here. Um, the area is super thick. I mean, it's not an area like you can see something from a park, but you can't run at it. You know, if mm-hmm. it was on a um, say it's on a logging road or something, I will approach it. I have no qualms uh, approaching something. Uh, and, and maybe that's risky, maybe that's stupid, but you know, I, I always have a GoPro running. You almost always have some sort of audio and or video running. And most times we always have video running. I will approach it, but going through an area like that, uh, where Chris saw that, that possible, where you had that possible sighting, I did go out to the area that day and it took me forever to get out there. And I was going uphill through branches and a lot of time they couldn't see me. You can't run at something in this area. It's not like you said, it's not an area as a hunter. And if Chris is a hunter as well, it's not an area you're going to hunt. It'd be, it'd be re- impossible. It'd be a joke. But are these things um, quite possibly closer? Well, yeah. If, if uh, say just, there was a, just for example, say there was just some, for some odd reason, which would never happen, but uh, you know, a group of people that just wanted to meander out there, I could, I could just stand still. And they're never going to see me out there. No one's going to see wow. me out there. All I have to do yeah. is stand still or move very quietly. Uh, I don't care if I'm uh, a foot tall to, you know, 10 feet tall. No one's going to see me. I could just stay there and watch people. It'd be it, that easy. And you would never know I was there. And I'm not the biggest guy. You get some that big. I mean, you could hide an elephant out there as long as they don't move or make any, you know, yeah. but they, you know, it's just that simple. Um, uh, The other part of the question, any concerns that, that one day you might stumble upon one. No, I want to, I mean, I, I'm not, <laughs> right. no, don't get me. I'm not arrogant to say that uh, I won't have a bit of fear in me and all that. No, but that's why I'm out there. I want to get one on film, like a good film. And it's a matter of time, in my opinion, that one of us and the Olin project will, it, it won't prove it. And uh, we do have some good stuff within the OP that's not public, but it's just not good enough in my opinion to even share. I don't want arguments. I don't want complaints. I don't want to even argue the point. Uh, but one day maybe we'll get something that's really cool that we'll share with the public that I think is worthy. Um, and then they can argue about it and I don't care. You know, one thing we're not as hoaxers, uh, we could, uh, you know, that's one thing about really good solid groups is it's so easy to hoax nowadays. It's so easy. What's hard to do is actually do this, <laughs> this, do this field work. It's very difficult right. and it's time consuming and it's cost. It's not cost effective. And so, um, do I worry about stumbling across one? I hope for it. I hope for it uh, again because that has happened to me and multiple times, but I just have not managed to get it on film. Well, you and uh, Todd stumbled on one in 2020. That's right. February 2020, a brand new nest site discovered in the making, and we were this close to seeing the sucker, but it was mm. it traveled down the hill and, surrend- and went up behind us, but the huckleberry so thick. But guess what? We found 14-inch tracks. We found hand impressions. Wow. We found... Uh, this huge huckleberry uh, that was collected from the area that day that was about to be formulated into a nest. So we were this close, this close. But uh, what's dark, what's Dr. Evil say on Austin powers, just one calorie, not evil enough. Well, we were this (laughs) close, but we were this close, but just not that close enough. Uh, So let's follow up to that. Let's say you do go around the corner. You get that face to face sighting. It's you. It's a squatch right there. What are you gonna do? Piss Have my you ever pants. like thought of that? Like, what? yeah, okay, piss your pants. Cool. <laughs> Quite possibly. Uh, I mean, well, it's the same. Uh, hope- yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Hopefully, uh, I don't have my camera sitting on the ground 
and my sure. GoPro because I carry a GoPro too. I have a chest mounted GoPro. Shane carries one on his pack. Todd has one going. Rebecca has one going. One of us, if not all of us, always has a GoPro going. So if there is that kind of close, close encounter, hopefully it gets videoed. But yeah, I you know, I can't say that I dream of that encounter. I don't really want that encounter. But. I want that encounter, but I will not. I won't be. You know, like I said, I'm not that arrogant. I'm not going to go running at the dang thing. I mean, I wouldn't run right. at a bear. Um, right. I wouldn't run at a cougar. I wouldn't even run at an elk. You know, I wouldn't run mm-hmm. at a moose. Uh, but I'm going to soak up that moment and I'm, I'm going to be fearful. No doubt about it. I've been fearful. You know, I'm a pretty brave guy, but I'm not stupid. Sure. You know, I respect everything in the woods, everything, you know, and you have to, otherwise that's how you go missing. That's how you get hurt. If you don't respect just the known animals, uh, yeah, you're asking for trouble. Um, I mean, you can get killed by just a, you know, a ground nest of wasps, you know, you got to think of all this stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I, but I would not run it, but I would, I would definitely, I'm going to have audio running and video running and I'm going to soak up that moment. I, I'm not going to, you know, maybe I'll back off. It just depends. I mean, this is all, th- th- these are what people say they want when it happens. Right. That's different. And, but I know in my heart of hearts, I've been at this a long time. I'm not running, but I am going to capture the whole, everything I can at that moment. So I mean, who knows? The more time you're in the woods, you have those opportunities. You know, it's just like uh, I run into black bear quite frequently, uh, you know, okay. out in the in the woods, uh, mainly through hunting season. You know, I'm out, I usually hunt blacktail because that's what we have up here in western Washington. Um, and it seems I run into more black bear than blacktail because blacktail are uh, <laughs> kind of species they call the ghosts of the woods because they're there and they're gone and you don't see them coming. They're very hard deer to hunt. But I run into more black bear and they just, you know, they run away and I don't fear black bear but I'm, I respect them. So same thing with Sasquatch. I don't, the odds of it, I don't believe there's any time if, if they're in the area and like Shane has pointed out, and I want to point out too, from the audio, they're not there all the time. They're there. We are seeing some patterns. They're passing through the area frequently, more frequently than we expected, but they're, they're not staying there and hanging out. So if they're there when we're there, they know we're there. <laughs> so I seriously doubt you're going to stumble into one. You know, what happened in 2020 was was a one in a million shot, in my opinion. Um, I think they're going to be highly aware of us. I, I guarantee they recognize Shane's truck. Tra- Shane's been in there more than anybody else. I guarantee the minute Shane pulls in there, yep. they know his truck. Um and I, and I suspect they're, they know me, Shane and Rebecca now, because for almost two years now, the three of us have been going in there. I mean, religiously. So yeah, I stumbling into one that close, I don't think it's going to happen. If you do, it wants you to see you. And that's kind of yep, scary exactly. thought right there. <laughs> it is. That's, that's like the movie Congo from back in the day, dude. Oh yeah. Game yeah. over, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike has a really interesting question here mike from tactical big for research what sounds in the woods have made you unsettled oh that's a, there's a few question mike uh the creepy sing-songy stuff oh, yeah. um yeah and some the some of the uh recently some of the the chatter type stuff that sounds like the sierra sounds i've recorded some of that and uh that just creeps me out 
creeps me out a lot. Shane, go ahead. Then I need to yeah, follow up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one specific sound that I've heard not all the time, but on two specific occasions. And we recorded a bunch of it or a significant amount of it is whistles, uh, a specific type of whistle. Yeah. When I hear uh, there was a an experience I had back in 2013 Mount Hood that was just, at, you know, not that far. Or may, excuse me, 2012. Uh, where I heard uh, two whistles and had a tree come down next to our camp at three o'clock in the afternoon uh, and not too far away from where I had my original sighting. And then another experience I had out in Tillamook down in the Oregon coast uh, that was very odd with the whistles at 1138 night. And and we had a dog with us and the dog reacted so freaking weird. Nothing good's ever happened in person when I've heard nothing good. I would say after I've heard a, 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 a whistle, a specific mm. type of whistle. Uh, I don't like the whistles. Um, that's the only thing that really unnerves me. Um, the other thing is when you have a tree come down next to camp, that sucks. Um, I don't care if it's naturally made or possibly within <laughs> possibly Sasquatches. Chris, uh, uh, well, he wasn't there at that time, but Rebecca and Slick can speak to and Todd Hale and a member of us had whoops and stuff going on. And then a large tree came down behind our camp. Um, that sort of stuff is unsettling. Um, but uh, you know what? I'll I'll I want that stuff to happen because that's sometimes you get the best evidence, uh, audio and recordings, and and the best time to f- to be out there therming, because if they're doing that stuff, it's if they're doing that stuff, it's for a reason, and that's when you got to be on your A game. Should always be on your A game, but that's specifically when you should be on your A game. Uh, but it is unsettling when you hear stuff like that. Uh, other than that. I hope they come to my camp and scream my tent off me. And yeah, I, I want that. Bring it. Chris. So you have, have you've recorded Sierra sound like sounds in the area. I, I want to clarify that. Uh, I've got a couple instances where I've got some stuff that's similar. Okay. It's not close range. It's not as close as what Ron recorded. Sure. But it's eerily similar. Wow. Um, it's it's yeah it actually made me mad when i got it really (laughs) (laughs) well you know i i love ron i've met him in person i've hung out with ron kindest guy in the world uh and i absolutely do not believe he would ever try to deceive anybody Mm -hmm. but in the back of my mind those sounds i've always been really on the fence with and really you know maybe someone was hoaxing ron or something like that and uh I always said that it, until I recorded, I don't believe it. Oh, wow. And uh, I think I was talking with James Million about <laughs> it uh, like a week prior to me reviewing some audio. <laughs> and I reviewed that audio and I got this call. And it's, it's straight out of one of the calls in the Sierra Sounds. And I'm just like, oh, God, <laughs> why? Goodness. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, uh, Monogahela. Uh, has talked about this um, with me before with the Sierra sounds, you have whoops and knocks in those sounds besides the others. Mm-hmm. So, and we, uh, we kind of generally agree that these are possible Sasquatch sounds, the whoops and the knocks. And we get those a lot. The whoops and the knocks are more for long term, long distance communication. Sure. They, the quote-unquote samurai chatter that's for like in-person conversation type communication well 
I would say 95% of everything that everybody records is long distance. Uh, most of most of the stuff that I recorded is at distance. It's not right by the recorder. I have some things close to the recorder, but the generally most of the stuff is distant. So in order to capture, because that was one of my biggest points, is not I haven't heard a lot of recordings of what Ron captured. Well, I don't think a lot of people, I don't think the Sasquatch get close enough to the recorder to record those kind of communications. Um, so that's why we don't have a lot of examples of it. It's it's a close communication between each other, whereas the other vocalizations that we suspect they do are meant to carry longer distance. That is very, very interesting. And just, yeah, that, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Chris. Um, have you guys found any hair samples in the nest? Uh, Mike has a question for you here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of, uh, not shouldn't say, there have been known animal hair found in there, deer and, and even dead raccoon hair. Um, what made these nests left a lot of hair. Uh, I mean, yes, we've collected it. And yes. Um, so um, a lot of questions I get asked is, has any DNA work been done on, on the hair, which is a legitimate question. Right. Well, this hair is definitely primate. Like as Dr. Meldrum will tell you, as Cindy Dosen of Hominine Enigma out of Canada will tell you, visually speaking, the problem with doing, and I'm just going to, this wasn't part of the question, but it's always a question that comes up about DNA. The problem with doing DNA on hair, whether it's human or not, is you're looking for a follicle or a medulla. Well, this hair lacks a medulla, which mm. doesn't match anything up here. Bears have a medulla. Mostly, almost all the animals up here have a medulla. This is very coarse uh, hair. It's it's um, un untainted with you know like and you know it, it's primate hair, so it's not got any um, uh, coloration to it uh, other than natural. It's got a red pigmentation to it underneath the microscope, almost a red pigmentation to it red granules which a lot of sasquatch sightings have are of reddish colored sasquatch especially up here in the pacific northwest um this hair doesn't match bear elk you name it it doesn't belong here it doesn't match anything here so yes we've discovered lots of hair and it matches other suspect hair found throughout the pacific northwest uh, that uh, we kind of put in the category of unknown, impossible Sasquatch hair because it doesn't wow. match anything. So whatever made these nests left hair there. Uh, so that's fascinating. Yes, hair has been found. It has been looked at um, visually underneath a microscope and compared to every freaking animal up here and it doesn't match it. And it's not human, but it's very, it, it is primate. Oh, that's wild. That's wild. Good question, Mike. Uh, I believe this is uh, Joe buddy joe turry uh says hey all i feel that audio tends to be largely ambiguous what makes you guys believe the sounds you're experiencing are wood ape wood ape related uh chris any thoughts about this well it, it sound is ambiguous and by sure. no means do i ever think of proving anything with sound alone but i'm reviewing this visually and that means i'm looking at the sound in a spectrogram and looking at yep. the signatures and i've been doing audio review visually for seven years now, I pretty much know all the known animals visually. And when our suspect vocals show up, they don't visually match the known animals. Sometimes mm -hmm. if they're distance, it, it, it can be harder 
to tell, but the longer you do it, it's one of those things with experience. You, you see it better and they just pop out when it's, when it's not what you're expecting. Um, and you, you got to listen to a lot too. I use the Macaulay library sound to vet stuff. If I suspect it might be canine of some kind, I will look at all the canine calls. If I suspect it's some kind of owl, I look at all the owl calls and I compare it. And a lot of my files are marked ambiguous because it, I can't say or nay, but some of the closer stuff I just mark as unknown because at the end of the day, I don't know what made the call, but I know it was not an owl and I know it was not a coyote or a canine. Um, what I will say, a lot of it is primate-like. A lot of it is really similar to primate vocalizations, including human being vocalizations. Uh, and it, and there, it's not like you get a lot of these. They don't vocalize a lot for a reason. Um, that's part of the reason they're so elusive. So when you get a, a, one of the biggest things that I look for, if I, if I have a vocalization that's repeating itself, and it's pretty much identical every time, over a period of time, I know that's not our target subject. That's going to be something, and it might sound goofy. It might sound like, oh, that could be, uh, you know, a primate call. That could be a Sasquatch. But if it's repetitive, I guarantee it's not. It's going to be something else. And, it, you know, like, it's, like I said, it's not that I'm trying to prove Bigfoot exists with audio. What audio is, it's a scouting tool for me. So if there's suspicious audio going on in an area, that's the area I want to be in with my thermal unit. That's the area I want to be in with my cameras. That's the area I want to go hike and look for other physical evidence. That's what audio is for. It's not for proving anything. So, I hope well, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, but I mean, audio does prove a lot of stuff in a lot of ways. Uh, it doesn't. It's not going to be end all be all be all when it comes to Sasquatch research. But one of the things we do, and I really take pride in is that we stay in one area. We're not going anywhere. We stay in one area recording all known animals. Chris has logged thousands of hours and, and thousands of recordings of known animals. We're getting to know coyotes, deer, you know, all your ungulates, uh, uh, bear. Uh, we got all sort an owl. Uh, we're getting to know. And in a lot of cases, Chris can tell you, like he used to, he has an area called X1. He can name the coyotes in that area because he spent years recording that wow. area. He could recognize the the signature on a spectrograph because it was the same signature. So that's the key thing is if uh, if you're ambulance chasing or going to different areas, you're never going to learn everything in the in one area. You're going to maybe learn a little and take a little bit of something away from that area. But when you're in the area for years and years, like I said, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. If you're in one area and you're pretty sure and confident that something's in that area that's unknown, such as Sasquatch, you will capture some stuff like that. But what you're really going to do by collecting the audio and being there and tracking stuff and finding stuff, just like a hunter would, he's going out scouting for elk or deer or bear. He learns that area. He learns animal sounds. He learns how to call them in. He learns their their seasons, their mating seasons, their feeding habits. It's what we're trying to do in this area. Not that we we have. No, that's all I'm saying. But that's what we're trying to do with Sasquatch because they do come through this area, no doubt in my mind, periodically. Mm -hmm. But being in this area for a lengthy period of time and learning your known animals, knowing the seasons, yep. to me is, is absolutely 100% key. Yeah, um, I should say, yeah. On top, I've always said 
because I, I in 2015 I started recording in what I call Area X1, and even when I started there, I always said I want to create a picture of this area. I want to know this area inside and out, and the audio allows me to do that. It's there when I'm not there. It tells me, it, you know, with like Shane said, with the seasons, different animals show up at different times and make different calls and different sounds. So th it tells you a lot about the area as a whole. And honestly, if you're if you're serious about this subject, you want to know everything not Bigfoot related to the area that you're researching as well. Right. So. Um, this kind of plays into uh, Alex Petikoff had sent in a question before this, and he said, bring up to, to Chris about how pretty much he's saying that, you know, you were able to analyze previously recorded uh, what we thought were Bigfoot calls and vocals, and they ended up being uh, coyotes and stuff because you were you were that good with being able to know what different animal sounds well yeah the, it's the coyote thing is like what's funny is coyotes are crazy in the range of vocalizations they can do and the coyotes in one area are going to sound different than the coyotes in another area and mm. i you, you do use your ears as well as the spectrogram but um just for, as an example, my area X1, there was one particular coyote. He's, I'm sure he's deceased now. Uh, I named him Waldo. And his call had a particular sound to it and a particular signature. And the group, the, he was the alpha, I'm positive, was the alpha male. Well, his pack was smaller and they made really more wolf-like calls. They, they weren't really yippy. The whole pack was really more laid back it was smaller smaller group of animals and then i was recording uh, 13 miles west of x1 um closer to human habitation and the the number of coyotes was at least doubled what was up out away from human habitation and they're really yippy i mean totally different characteristics they're making the same kind of calls but completely different characteristics in how they were doing it and when they were doing it so known animals, that's why you pick an area and you get to know that area because the known animals that use that area are going to have their own sound. Uh, if I go out and start recording in a new area, it takes me a while to get to know that act, actual area and the way the sound moves in the area and where I have my recorder set up. So it, it is, like Shane said, this is the, a, a long-term thing. It's a long game. And I've always said it. I'm, I'm not expecting results right now i'm expecting to collect enough data that 10 years down the road i'm going to be able to look at all this sound information and start making some correlations and patterns and you know have the information i'm in collection mode right now mm -hmm. me and wes are recording every single night up to next spring we will have pretty much two years solid of sound information dusk till dawn wow. from the nest area after that it's all going on a spreadsheet and that's when the statistical analysis starts and we're already just me reviewing it because look i've done six thousand hours of audio right now and i'm only up to july so wow. i can I, I i already see some patterns i see some stuff going on 
But until we start punching the actual hard data and numbers don't lie, that's why you do statistical analysis. Mm -hmm. That's why scientists do statistical analysis. It's going to tell us a lot of different things. We'll do that when we get to it. Right now, I just got to review a ton of audio and get it all written down. I'm logging all the sounds that I can, and I'm identifying everything that I record, except for obviously the unknown. I don't know what those are. I have an idea what those are. Yeah. Mm. Shane, Tate's got an interesting uh, question here. Um, uh, So you guys go there religiously, so they're familiar with you guys. How does the activity differ, do you think, when you bring outsiders in with you versus just you guys? I would assume this means when you brought STM in versus when it's just you guys and all the Sasquatch are very familiar with the Olympic Project members, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, we once again, we assume that there's Sasquatch in the area and then we assume they are familiar with us. Um, we don't bring outsiders out. I mean, you know, you, SDM, yes, yeah, small town monsters and them. That was a rarity. We just don't bring outsiders out there That's because point, yeah. uh, that was a one off because I respect Seth Breedlove and the whole small town monsters and, and what they're about. Mm-hmm. We get asked all the time, not recently, but <laughs> And in some of your biggest TV shows, I'll tell you right now, some of the biggest Bigfoot shows on 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 TV right now have asked to come out to the nest area. We said no. Mm-hmm. Why? Because yep. Uh, one, we don't want them out there. Two, we don't need them out there. Um, we don't need our fifteen minutes of fame. We don't. Uh, right. There's no money involved, uh, and they don't add any value. Small town monsters was a like a one off, um, and I, like I got so much respect for Seth and his crew. Oh yeah, the whole crew. I love them. To death because they keep it real which yeah your your 99 of your tv programs out there do not keep it real and i won't go into that that's why i don't do series i've been offered many series and many tv shows i won't do it i don't care sure i mean for the research um so um when it comes to does the activity differ well you know when we brought small town monsters out there honestly i mean even when we go out to the woods we don't expect anything to happen you know we, we camp out we we hope we therm and nine times out of ten nothing happens that's just the truth you know we don't see a deer we don't see a bear we don't hear anything uh, occasionally we strike gold occasionally um and so when we brought seth and him out there it wasn't quite the best time of year to be out there um and we were going off of their schedule and what they they had provided sure. us so we had to bring them out there but we don't bring people outsiders out there because it's uh, other than if it's an academic individual. And once again, I've brought lots of academic individuals over there out there over the years and we never had anything happen. Um, so I, I really don't know how to answer that question correctly because right. it, it, it's, it's like when you're going into an area just on a one-off chances are nothing's going to happen. You have to spend a lot of time in this area. And even though they may be getting, maybe getting familiar with us, I mean, I go out there a lot and nothing happens. Um, it's just uh, one of those things you have to document the stuff and pay attention. And it's really a seasonal thing, in my opinion, when your best chances to have stuff happen. Uh, I love the fall months. I love the fall. I love the winter time because this area is very, um, it's got its own microclimate, so to speak. And so, you know, you could have snow in some of these areas and this one area doesn't really get a whole lot of snow. And some of the berries will still be there even into February, which is, crazy but and then you still get the salmon and stuff so we just don't bring I, a whole lot of people out there especially outsiders and um yep. we, we i'm not noticed any any abnormal stuff 
uh, even through the audio recordings. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, I was just going to say that, yeah, yeah, there's been, okay, so we've been doing this since, well, 2021, the beginning of 2021. Um, and actually we've been, you've been going out there more than that. And in 2020 is when I first put a LTR out there and stuff. Um, we've got like four instant, four, five instances where we're pretty sure they got close to us in a, a two year period. Um, so it doesn't, stuff doesn't happen all the time. I, and we, yeah, we get excited and I tell you what I possibly had a sighting here and we possibly had this happen, but like Shane said, nine times out of 10, absolutely nothing happens. Um, I, when STM came out and stuff, I had LTRs out and I don't, I don't recall any, I'd have to look at my notes, but I'm pretty sure there was no suspect activity at all on those recorders for the time that they were out there. So yeah, I, I look at it as go, we're going in there passively. And if, if they're there when we're there, if they're bored or curious, they might get close to us and check us out. Mm-hmm. But I think most of the time they just ignore us and do whatever they're going to do. Gotcha. Honestly. Hmm. Very. In, in. How much longer do you guys have access to, to the nest area? Uh, no idea. Uh, okay. Right so now, it's just like, it could be tomorrow. You're cut off. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, it could be tomorrow. Wow. Um, um, now we do have, so this area is so vast. I've been exploring other areas just even recently. Uh, so even if this one area gets taken up, uh, we've not been told they're going to take the keys away from us. So I have keys mm-hmm. to gates and I can venture into a lot of different areas um, that uh, I've been, you know, I'm always forward thinking. I'm like, okay, you know, not just if this area gets taken away, but where else can we do long duration recordings? Where else can we go? uh camp out where else can we therm where else can we explore and this area is so vast there's multiple spots i just spent uh, last week I, sp- I i did a long drive checking out new gates seeing which gates i could get into and where they led and <laughs> and uh so uh, I, i've got a lot of areas picked out in my brain uh this area could be locked tomorrow could be locked five years from now um as far as i know they don't have permits to log this area um anytime soon and they've given us a blessing to keep doing what we're doing um this this timber company is intrigued uh by what we're doing intrigued by what the timber surveyor found and what the timber owner got to he got to look at this area too and he was like wow um and uh so they're intrigued and so it's just one of those things where it's such a blessing it's such an amazing thing that we have access to this area anytime we want free to do whatever we want with the lack of humans being out there. You know, we can drive two miles behind a lock gate and then park and then hike way the heck out and do our thing. Not, I don't know of many people that can do that. Um, And so we're going to capitalize on that. And I'm looking at the bigger picture. Where else can we go? Where else could there be more nests? Even older nests made five years ago. Now that I know and that we know kind of what we're looking for and what we're looking at, there's got to be more nests out there. And that's why I always encourage people, uh, you know, I don't want to hear structures. I'm just me. Uh, I'm not, I'm into structures, but when you say a nest, I want to see personally, I want to see the same thing that we've been looking at and it's been far and few between, but they're out there. I guarantee they're out there somewhere else. 
And you can argue what's making these nests, but something's making them. And but you're not going to find them next to a trail. You're, you're going to find them in a remote, hard to get to area. Don't go by yourself because there are a lot of things you can get hurt you or you can get hurt or have a medical condition. Take someone with you. Right. Get off trail and find these things. So there, there's more out there. And that's what excites me. I want other people to replicate our what we were led to find. Yeah. If if you if you go in an area where there's a history of Sasquatch reports and you look at all the nice hiking trails around it, <laughs> stay away from those. Look at the deepest, steepest, nastiest pile of blackberries you'd never think of walking through and go in there. <laughs> Uh, is there ever uh is there um a plan for uh for a, a book of some sorts to come out from the olympic project eventually has that been thrown around or <laughs> oh man it gets thrown around all the time i've had a lot right. of people ask me if i have a book if i'm writing a book um i think if anybody should write a book it should be Derek randall's he's been at this a lot longer than uh most of us um david else is another name i'll throw in there it should be maybe a collaborative effort, but uh, I, I keep prodding Derek to, to write a book. Um, if, if I were to ever write a book and I, I don't plan on it, I, I want – this story's not done. I don't want to write a book and then have to write a, a, a sequel to it. I want to write a book if I ever do. You know, I, I can write about reports I've taken. I, can, I, want, I wanted to – capitalize the whole phenomena and and not just what i've experienced but what I, i've experienced with others and uh, quite honestly if i write a book i kind of want some answers i don't want another ambiguous book with a lot of questions i want i want to write a book that maybe very arrogantly i'm going to say this has some answers mm-hmm. that, that people can go to and read and go okay you know so uh, i have no interest right now writing a book um i've been offered stuff uh and could I write a book? Sure. I'm Chris could write a book. Todd Hill could write a book. Many of the Olympic project members could write a book. Many Bigfoot related uh, investigators could write a book. I have no pull to write a book. I, I love sharing my stuff on, on podcasts and, and uh, getting feedback and learning stuff from people. Cause I don't know everything and I don't, I know very little. Um, so why would I write a book at this point? Maybe down the road. Yeah. I would love I- to hear, I would love to read the, the Todd Hale book. Person, <laughs> I, I'll read all your books, but the Todd Hale book would be amazing. Chris, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I just i I eventually will write write a book because awesome. I like to write. Yep. But I it, that's going to be when I can no longer hike or walk or sure. or I'm bedridden. <laughs> it's going to be when I I have to stay home when I can't go out in the woods anymore. That's that's when I'll take the time to write something down. I mean, I write stuff down all the time, but something to make into a book. Yeah, that'll happen when I'm not out in the field anymore. Let's uh, let's let's start to wind down with this. Uh, so, question for for both of you guys. Um, personally, what do you have as your goal that you hope is accomplished through your work with the uh, Olympic Project? Me? Okay. I'll, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. And then I'll, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> I was just waiting for Shane. My goal is to learn as much as possible about Sasquatch as I can, um, and to collect as much physical evidence and visual evidence as I can. Will it happen anytime soon? Don't know. 
but I just keep trying. You know, uh, at the end of the day, I'm not going out there just to tell stories. I'm going out there to collect evidence. And um, it might be just audio right now, but I'm that's not the only reason I'm going out there. I want more sure. than the audio. The audio is just it's just a small piece of the puzzle, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Hey, uh, thanks, Rebecca. Um uh, so here's the thing. Um, I, I would love to see Sasquatch proven to exist. Uh, honestly, uh, I, I, I once again keep using this word, but I won't be so arrogant to say that I'll be able to do it or the Olympic project will be do it, be able to do it. But if we can help that endeavor by accumulating data, um, uh, working with others, sharing stuff, uh, and, and, and then eventually gets there, that'd be fantastic. My ultimate goal, period. I am not a scientist. I am Shane Corson, a uh, field investigator, an avid outdoorsman, hiker, fisherman, blah, 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 blah. My ultimate goal, you know, if I kick the bucket tomorrow, I hope I've made this subject matter less taboo. Mm. That's my ultimate goal, as sure. John Bernardo wanted. And that it literally is my ultimate goal, to make this subject matter less taboo, that people can talk about it, share experiences, and maybe get somewhere with this damn phenomenon. Because the, these, the Sasquatch is a real thing. The, it is a real thing. Absolutely. 100%. I don't mind saying that. You know, I don't state a lot of stuff as, as fact, but Sasquatch are real. They're out there. There's no doubt about it in my brain. Not even yeah. a little bit. So I want to make the subject matter, matter last, uh, less taboo. Excuse me. And so if I can do that with a lot of my, I mean, the people I work with are fantastic. And if we can accumulate data and share that data uh, and, and get something more substantial than than's out there now uh, then i think uh, we've made an impact i've made an impact and that's all i want uh, you know if we can prove it exists that'd be fantastic but that's a long that's a i don't expect that to happen do i want it to happen sure hmm. but if if we can uh and man i tell you in the last i would say the last seven years i've seen amazing things happen amazing uh, with with academia with the social aspect to this you know i mean there's some good mm -hmm. and there's some bad there's definitely some bad yeah but, you know i just shrug off the bad i don't care about the bad because if you're just taking one step forward at a time you know you make it a step back but then two steps forward it makes it all worthwhile and um i, I know i'm not going anywhere the limber project's not going anywhere we're in this for the long run you know uh and and we're very optimistic and excited and we have fun and that, you know, that's awesome. This is yep. such a this is such a worthy and great endeavor. When you're out out in the outdoors, man, you're living life. And uh, a lot of people can't do that. And I don't take that for granted. And so uh, shows like this, Jeremiah, uh, you know, the Bigfoot Society and a lot of shows. I'll just say this. A lot of people live through us vicariously that actually get out to the woods. And like I said, I don't take that for granted. Yeah, because they can't. They're physically on. They, they're physically they can't. Uh, mentally, they can't financially, all that stuff. A lot of us can. And so if I can share stuff through venues like such as this, this, this fine show here, um, then we're, we're doing something and that's good. I appreciate yeah. that. You know, I will say something real quick, uh, in regards to that. Um, there was a point where, um, this is maybe, uh, 
year ago where I, I was like, yeah, do I keep going with this? And then I had a listener tell me the only reason they got through the pandemic mentally was because they were listening to my show and it quite literally kept them alive. And I said, okay, I'll do it forever. I don't care. You know, <laughs> and I love doing this, but I was like, wow, you know, doing this stuff, like you said, uh, it really does help out people. And, um, but yeah, that's just my two cents, but guys, um, it's been a, a fantastic hour and a half chat with you guys. Um, do you mind? Uh, let's let's close things out with um, take a few minutes uh, to share how people can keep up to date with uh, what you're doing, and also any uh, closing thoughts that that you have. And Chris, we can start with you. Oh, uh, I have a YouTube channel called Toodle River Skookum. Um, Chris, Toodle River Valley Skook, I'm sorry. I don't even know my YouTube channel's name. <laughs> Chris Spencer. And I, I try to put up, I put up known animal sounds as well as some of the suspicious stuff. Um, probably about every six months I put stuff up. Uh, you can go there if you want to link that in your show. Oh, definitely. Notes oh, definitely. And, stuff. and then uh, if you want to put my email in there too, you can too. People can get a hold of me. I was just going to add one other thing. Yeah. Uh, to what Shane was saying, you know, at the end of the day, science does, is not fast. Everything takes time. I see us moving forward, no matter what people think. We're moving forward. And as long as we keep moving the subject forward, that's the end goal. Whether we do anything, whether I do anything, as long as I'm helping so that in the future somebody else can accomplish what we'd like to see accomplished now that's the goal mm. you know if the N NAWAC puts one on the slab next week great but right. i want to push the subject forward i want to push people into a more scientific direction i you know i want to help those that want to do what we're doing so maybe what the mistakes I make now will help someone in the future not make the same mistakes. But That's awesome. Anyways. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Shane. Well, I'm a, I'm a simple man. I'm a simple man from Washington state. Um, yeah. I'd like, uh, you know, if people want to reach out to me, they can find me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, the usual, the usual places. Um, uh, I've been a little lackadaisical with monster X radio. I've been so busy, you know, uh, the last couple of years for everybody have been really tough, you know, with, with COVID and everything else. And it's, you know, I have a, I'm raising a almost 11 year old now and she takes up a lot of my time, but I love every second of it. And so between work and everything else, um, Monster X is kind of taking a backseat, but Monster X radio, I promise we'll be back. I keep telling these guys like Chris, I'm awesome. oh, we're going to record. Well, I just haven't done it, uh, but we will be back. Um, but yeah, reach out to me. The usual spots we have a limpproject.com which is uh, kind of been on the back burner a little bit. It is our website. Johnny, Johnny Manson actually kind of runs that whole thing, you know, with the Sasquatch. I mean, he, he's a big part of what the Olympic project does online. He's behind behind the scenes, but uh, we got some plans for some stuff down the road here uh, where we'll be sharing more stuff. You know, we're not trying to hide stuff or anything. It's just, sure. we get busy and uh, we like to better stuff, you know, and sometimes that takes years to do. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just because we find it a really interesting impression. Doesn't mean we, we throw it right online or mm -hmm. re, re, really good vocal or, you know, yeah. whatever have you, we don't, 
that's one thing the Olin Project doesn't do is just throw stuff out there because it just, you know, and then it's like showboating. It's, it creates controversy, it creates arguments. A lot of people like that. And hey, tweet your own. Uh, we keep a lot of stuff close to the hip and we like to, if we put something out public, we want people to really respect that. And uh, it'll showcase the amount of work we've done with it. You know, um, Bart Catino is a great friend of mine, a great friend of ours. Sure. And uh, he's got some of the best thermal footage out there, but it wasn't released for years later until he really vetted it. And it's probably mm. some of the best thermal footage out there, period. So that's just kind of our, our angle. So don't be frustrated. If you guys, honestly, uh, anybody that's listening to the show, um, uh, ever, what I'd like to do and 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 showcase stuff is at symposiums, at, at uh, conferences, where I can inter- interact with people and they can see me, they can talk to me. They can, you know, there's no miscommunication. When I post something on a slide or and talk about it, they can ask me a question. They can sometimes physically look at stuff. That's where I really like to share stuff because it's one on one. Uh, I can get questions in person. There's no shadiness. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's why I like to do symposiums and conferences, not because I'm a, a name in the field, uh, but when I get invited, because I never ask to speak at these. None of us do. When we're invited, I chances are I might speak there, but I get to showcase the Olympic project, some of the stuff we're working on, and I get to hear from people. I get their feedback. I get to learn what they're doing, what they found. And so that's the best opportunity to uh, – to engage with the OP and ask questions and whatnot. So yeah, I'll, I'll end with that. Fantastic. If you want to know more about the Olympic project, go over to www.olympicproject.com. I believe is the website. And there's a lot of info there. You can see how many people are on the team. There's a lot of people that are really cool uh, on the team. Uh, get familiar with those, but guys, thanks so much uh, for coming on. Um, you both are awesome, and uh, it's just got to talk to you, Chris. It seems like not too long ago, but Shane, it's good to catch up with you, dude. It's been a while. But uh, again, thanks for coming on, and thanks to everyone in the chat for uh, hanging out tonight. No problem. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, thank you. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Bigfoot Society. Any content provided by our guests are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, 